Aloha and welcome to Elevating Motherhood. I'm so glad you're here. I'm your host, Lori Beth Aldridge. I've taken my passion for conversation, perspective, and supporting moms and turned it into a podcast. My goal is to talk openly about motherhood, offer new ideas, and help moms find their confidence in this busy and sometimes overwhelming world we live in. We're going to dive deep, open up, and elevate motherhood. Thanks for being here with me. Let's get started. Today's episode of Elevating Motherhood is sponsored by Blossom and Root, a nature-based Charlotte Mason-inspired homeschool curriculum company that has been gently guiding and supporting families for years. This thoughtful, age-appropriate curriculum begins at the preschool level with options all the way up to fifth grade with more grade levels being released each year. Christina Garner, the creator of Blossom and Root, also has unit studies she calls book seeds available on her site, which are deep dives into beautiful nature-based books. It's one of my favorite things about her curriculum, along with her incredible book lists for each grade. You can find out more about the inspiration behind Blossom and Root and why Christina created it in episode 16. Blossom and Root is one of the homeschool curriculums my family uses and loves. The information and ideas are easy to follow, fun, and engaging. If you're new to homeschool or are simply looking for an inspiring homeschool curriculum to help you lovingly teach and guide your children, I highly recommend Blossom and Root. Using this curriculum has brought so much connection and joy to my family's homeschool days. I love it, my kids love it, and I think you'll love it too. Blossom and Root has generously offered a discount code for listeners of Elevating Motherhood. Use the code LORIBETH10, L-O-R-I-B-E-T-H-1-0 at checkout for 10% off your order. For more information about Blossom and Root, head over to elevatingmotherhood.com forward slash homeschool. That's elevatingmotherhood.com forward slash homeschool. Oh my gosh, Leah Bowden is back. Leah was on the show way back in episode 56. We recorded an episode called Charlotte Mason 101. If you have not listened to that, I highly recommend you start there. Or you can just dive into today's Charlotte Mason episode too, because Leah is brilliant once again. She is the modern Miss Mason. She always has been on Instagram and how it is she shows up. And you guys, she wrote a book, Modern Miss Mason. It is my favorite book of the year. I know it's only February, February 1st, 2023, but I actually had the great honor of reading it in advance last year. And it was my favorite book of last year. And heading into this year, it's going to be hard to top Leah Bowden's new book. I 10 out of 10 recommend it. It is so good. Charlotte Mason is really a niche pedagogy. It is talked about often in homeschool circles, but I think it needs to be way less niche and way less homeschool only and more mainstream. Charlotte Mason's philosophies are so inspiring just as a parent. So whether you homeschool or not, whether you use a Charlotte Mason approach or not, this episode is totally for you. And Leah's book, Modern Miss Mason, is also for you. It is so encouraging. The way Leah shows up is so magical. She truly is one of a kind. 
Leah Bowden is a wife to Dave, mother of four children, and a longtime home educator. With over two decades of experience in church leadership, Leah's background also features many years in youth, children's, and family work within the church and for the local education authority. Leah speaks, hosts podcasts and coaching sessions, and runs workshops sharing the beauty of a Charlotte Mason approach to childhood, motherhood, and education. She and her family live in the West Midlands in England. You are going to love her accent and just, oh, just Leah in general. Without further ado, let's welcome back the brilliant Leah Bowden to the show. Aloha, Leah. Welcome back to the show. I'm so stoked you're here. I'm so glad to be back. How wonderful is this? <laughs> oh, so fun. Oh, my listeners loved your first episode and they're going to super love this episode because we are talking about your book. You did it. You I wrote a book. And it is amazing. And I genuinely, genuinely love it. I read a lot of books for work. I read a lot of books for homeschool. And I honestly could not wait to wake up at 5am and read your book. Oh, you are so lovely. <laughs> Thank you. So, so good. So good. So I know some listeners will have listened to your first episode. But for those who are new to the amazing Leah Bowden, can you please introduce yourself and then also, you know, kind of introduce who Charlotte Mason is? Absolutely. So, yes, I am Leah Bowden. I'm married to Dave. We have four children, uh, two boys, two girls. Um, I have one has left the nest recently, which is a big, uh, um, a quite an emotional stage of motherhood. And uh, she, yeah, she left about a month ago. Actually, moved um, to further down south in the country. Uh, but three, three at home. One, I'm left with one uh, full time home educating. So life is changing rapidly, uh, but it's been uh, it's been a wonderful journey. So I've been a, a mum for 20 years. And for most of those, I have been a home educator as well. Uh, my husband and I have um, spent many years church planting and church leading. And currently, actually, both our worlds are very much in education and writing. We both have publishing contracts. He's about to get his book out. Yeah, his comes out next September. So mine comes out at the beginning of the year. His comes out in, in September. Mm-hmm. And um, so we're both in the writing world now and we love it a little bit too much. So <laughs> it's great fun. And uh, yeah, so we've, uh, you know, I pretty much uh, the seed of home education was uh, caught when I was, um, after I graduated from university here in the UK, I did a year in the States at Bible College and discovered homeschoolers and was like, who are these people? Um, This is amazing. And that little seed really came with me into getting married and starting a family. And um, one of the first things I typed into a search engine when it was kind of school place time was, is homeschooling legal in England? Because I had no clue. I just, I didn't know. I, it wasn't a thing that was going on here. Mm-hmm. So we've we've done that journey. And um, from the very beginning of my kind of researching um, home education, I discovered Charlotte Mason. And I was really looking for um, as much as I am incredibly and eternally grateful for the forerunners in America um, who have, you know, written the books and did the blogs and set up curriculums and programs, 
I needed to find something that that really spoke into my culture and also the the you know my current situation and setup and I was struggling to kind of grasp at how what does this look like came across Charlotte Mason and this is before we formally started now Charlotte Mason was a revolutionary British educator and she died um, in January, we it mark we mark her centenary, so it's a hundred years since she died. Um, and I know, amazing, right? And she spent her whole—I was going to say her whole adult life—but she actually, right from the teenage years, she started to train as a teacher because it was pretty much probably the only thing she would end up doing because of her economic situation. And by seventeen, she was an orphan; both parents had died, and she was um, around children and education from a very in the young teens, and observed observed children observed education observed motherhood observed governesses and wealth and poverty and saw the whole picture and by the time she'd kind of got into middle age she was saying something has to change this we can't keep going like this and she'd done all the training and she'd got you know good people around her and good friends and she began to speak about um a liberal education for all so not liberal as in politics liberal as in a wide and varied and full curriculum for every single child not um not dependent on wealth not dependent on the status of their parents or geographically where they lived but that every child is worthy and capable of engaging with the world and so she was a mover and a shaker really in her time um she you know a lot of the stuff that she says isn't new uh, but it's a new voice saying it. And that's often what we find today. Like so many of us are, um, are we rehashing stuff? Well, it's somewhat, yes, but we're a new voice speaking into a new generation. And so she was picking up these ideas from educationalists, from philosophers, from, I mean, from all over Europe and started to speak into education into the UK. And the ripples of that went worldwide, really. And so she started by training governesses and teachers and the team that came around her, um, you know, the bigger your team, the more you can impact um, and, and diff- different communities and different economic areas, um, um, dem- yeah, around around the country, but also the programs she she came up with around her philosophy and methods, they went all over the world. And there, that's when the PNEU, the Parents National Education Union was was born. Uh, you find missionaries were using it, and they started to set up schools all over the world. So really, this this ripple effect of this woman who was a single woman was never a mother, was never a wife. Um, she gave her life for the children's sake. That's what she says. Mm-hmm. And uh, the ripple impact, the ripple effect of that is still impacting us today you know you and I sat here talking about her a hundred years after her death that's that's pretty impressive isn't it oh so impressive there's so many things that are impressive about her and I'm thinking about that is your book coming out in January it is oh like I love I know Oh, much. <laughs> Do you know what? The amazing thing is that it wasn't planned that way. So the book was initially, uh, it was supposed to come out in, in the autumn, in the fall. 
Um, and because of COVID, you know, it moved everything, didn't it? And uh, even so COVID impacted crazy things like paper supply and shipping and everything. So we moved it. Um, and my publishers were like, how about January? And I was like, that couldn't be more perfect. Oh my gosh. It <laughs> is so amazing. You and I have similar journeys in that way that I came to homeschooling before I was married and had kids. Um, in fact, I was standing on the stage of the Coliseum in Rome um, with someone else's kids experiencing. You yes, know, you were. That's and right. All of that. and, and I was like, I came back and was like, honey, you know, my boyfriend at the time, that's it. Like we're homeschooling our kids when we get married. Like this is what we're going to do. <laughs> wow. Whole lives to make sure that we do that. Um, but I, I was filled with that conviction, like you were talking about. But a Charlotte Mason was absolutely like the missing puzzle piece in my mothering and my homeschool journey. Um, because I do understand the importance of aligning actions and values. It's like one of the platforms of, of the podcast. And a lot of Charlotte's beliefs and values, I always feel so like informal calling her Charlotte, but that's how I refer to well, her. You know, the, the, I call it that all the way through the book, don't I, Laurie Beth? So we're allowed. You're in safe hands here. <laughs> but, you know, her beliefs and her values aligned with mine a lot. And yes. reading her teachings brought me a lot of confidence and confirmation that I was doing the right thing by my children. Great. By following my intuition. And um, I, I read your whole book. But on page two, I was so struck by you saying every mother is calling out for confidence. Mm -hmm. And I could not agree more. You know, I believe that here on the show that um, we gain confidence from resources and then listening to our intuition and like mm -hmm. bringing all those together and aligning our actions and values. And, and um, I love that Charlotte Mason is a resource and can be a major resource even a hundred years after her death. How so amazing is that? I know. It's, yeah. It's so awesome. Like outside of that, why do you think it's important to bring Charlotte Mason to more mothers at this time in history? Well, you know, as we said, she wasn't a mother, but it was her observation of motherhood. So she almost has this 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 kind of bird's eye view on many different situations. So um, she had different kinds of mothers who worked with her. She had quite a wealthy Jewish lady who had um, children who were in private school. And then she had a local Yorkshire woman who had something like maybe she had six or nine children. I can't remember now, but then she had them at home, like, like you and I, you know, had the way we view home education. She had them at home and, uh, didn't have the wealth and resources quite the same as this other lady. And she saw, uh, and then through her work, the, what's expected of mothers and you know in the victorian era as well the expectation of from society on on motherhood but she doesn't so she speaks into the, the the time that she's living in of course but i think what's important for us today i think we're in a culture that is screaming at us that you know we get these you kind of pulled either way there's these polar opposites of um self-care and me time and which which are all fine. Like I'm not, I'm not dissing any of those uh, concepts. Sometimes the terms will grate on me because it's not naturally something I would say, but I get it. Be but often what, what you find is they come at a point of utter exhaustion and burnout. So you get them a mother who's just, I am done and I need a manicure. I need a spa. I need a, you know, whatever. I need a weekend with the girls. Or you get the complete opposite where you get this other spectrum of people saying, well, 
you know, mother, motherhood is 100% sacrificial. So even if you're utterly exhausted, you just get up and keep going, keep going, keep going. Now, I don't know if either of those are particularly right. And what Charlotte brings to the table is this idea of, you know, this kind of soul care and mind in staying intellectually alive, um, looking for light, looking for beauty every single day so Mm -hmm. that you don't get to the end of your tether as it were because you are you're responsible for caring for yourself every single day and this was something I really caught early on in motherhood I wanted to stay alive in my learning and as much as my home educating was it was definitely when I you know I was a university graduate but my learning began I, I learned how to learn, how to, how to, you know, find knowledge when I started home educating my children. And I wanted that, that just one of my, if you've, any of your listeners have done the strengths finder test, there are so many personality tests now, but the strengths finder is fantastic. And one of my high values is that I am a learner. And I, this came alive in me as I discovered the Charlotte Mason philosophy. So as much as I was learning about, um, bringing my children into this wide and varied curriculum, I was kind of going, hey, this is for me as well. And, you know, her just some of her sayings around all important things are simple. Like it's on my wall right here, Laurie Beth. It's like in front of me every day. Like that is one of my life mantras, like keep it simple. Just keep it simple. It is beautiful. It is important. She talks about light and you know, if and seeing beauty and seeing glory, like you become familiar with that. And these are the things, the daily rhythms of those things in a mother's life that kind of help. Now, I'm not saying that we don't get exhausted. I'm not saying we don't get to the end of our time. I, I get that. I've, had, I've raised four kiddies. I know what that's like. But I am a complete, you know, here I am telling you that this is the story of my life over the past two decades is that if I choose to invest a little bit every single day, whether it's 15 minutes or, you know, I get an hour in the morning, whatever it is, into my own inner life, it ultimately impacts my outer life. So, um, and it's not just about, again, there's these kind of wonderful quotes about don't, uh, you know, you can only give out from a full cup and all that kind of stuff. And I, and I think it's great. Yes. Uh, but I don't think you're fueling yourself just for your children. I think you're allowed to say, you know what? I'm fueling myself because I am a woman. I'm alive in the world today. And I want to think great thoughts and have great ideas and observe beauty and, you know, do whatever creative things I want to do. Um, not sure if that answers your question, but it really does go down. It does so beautifully. I'm actually, it's like you've seen my notes or something because no. <laughs> so there's this, there's just this, I think, you know, she says this famous quote um, in her writing, if mothers could only do for themselves what they do for their children, you know, we would have happier households. I always kind of misquote it a tiny bit, but, you know, let mothers go out to play. And that wasn't this kind of, um, you know, go and just go out and drink wine on a Friday night. It wasn't, she, that's not what she was saying. She's saying, go and do your life, go and enjoy the beauty and nature and literature and poetry and music and rest and do all these things as well because you are a person too. And 
I just love that and I embrace that every single day and it's something that I know honestly Laurie Beth I don't say this lightly I don't say this arrogantly but I I've got through you know 16 17 years of of formally home educating my children and I've never regretted anything I've never had burnout I've never wanted to pack it in yes there've been days when I've said let's pause, let's have a day off, or this is definitely time for a break. But I haven't got to that place of complete burnout because every day I take notice of how this, you know, what is my environment like? How am I feeling in this? How is how my children going to respond to that? Now, I know it's different for everybody, but I put that a lot of that down to that initial learning in my early days of like, hey, I get to do this too. Mm-hmm. And um, it's so life-giving. Mm-hmm. I can relate to that. And I don't think it's braggadocious to say these methods work. This works. Paying attention right. works. Because right. the thing we're getting from the outside is that motherhood is exhausting. And unless you're exhausted, you're a liar. Right. And I'm like, oh, interesting. Because I feel like I have a circle of friends who, you know, lifts each other up and encourages one another. Or like people who, you know, to use Charlotte Mason terminology is like, we go play together. But we're not just going and drinking wine and getting manicures. We are going, um, you know, antique shopping and yes. things that light us up, you know, or going and having coffee or discussing books together together or yes. re- reading, you know, quote unquote, audiobooks together at the same time while we're raising I our love kids. that. I love and, it. And there are certain philosophies that if they can get into the minds of mothers early on in their mothering journey, it does make a difference. For me, it was um, this, the poem song for a fifth child. Mm. Um, the very last line is, you know, I'm so dust settle down, cobwebs go to sleep. I'm rocking my baby and babies don't keep. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's because I became a mom for the first time in my mid thirties. You know, I have four children, right. as well, but my son just turned one. <laughs> so yes. I'm like, yeah, I'm that's right. the end of your journey. <laughs> yeah. And, um, I, it struck me that they don't keep, and this is such a short season. And because I had that on my heart, raising babies, and because I had, you know, Grandma Claire Bear, who is now 89 years old, um, telling me, do not be upset when the baby wakes up in the middle of the night, because that is your time. That's your special, precious time. Yeah. To- be the no one is tugging at you no one is wanting to hold your baby it's just mm-hmm. you two in the middle of the night and that is your precious time so do not and she had a lot of kids you know once you have after six you're like how many do you have like six yeah lost count <laughs> so, <laughs> it's all the same after six and six. I think as, I think some as and, and that is so beautiful and I think some of what we the some of the struggle is because of what we contend with so often if you are if you are um well, what I was going to say was you have to learn to say no to a lot of things in some seasons so that you can say yes to the being free to say, you know, in the middle of the night to just go, it is what it is. Mm-hmm. And I remember just kind of choosing not to count the hours that I'd had to sleep. I remember somebody, somebody gave me that advice really early on was like, don't count don't look at the clock just do the feeding do the rocking get the sleep when you can as soon as you start counting you start trying to get it right in your head and you you know and it's not it's not healthy and I and so I that was a really great thing to stop counting the hours of sleep or even trying to wake up in the morning with my husband and go how many did you get (laughs) let's do that conversation but I think it's often um 
being content with the season that you're in now I, I you know I know I'm speaking to um an audience that hears that and and that is probably a majority of maybe feel the same way we do about that season with babies and little children you know and we're talking about home educating here so we're, we're at home um but I think if you are still trying to stay busy and do the voluntary stuff or even you know I, I, lots of us have businesses on the side that we can we can manage that time. But I think if you are contending with this other life, then you feel the stress, you feel the pressure of please go to sleep, you know, um, please. And I get that. You know, I I I do get that. And so, you know, if people are listening and they're like, it's so difficult right now, we do understand. We totally oh, hear you. Oh I remember God. that so well. And I think it's then choosing, okay, what are I often say to people, um, the three things in those seasons, when you, especially when you're feeling under pressure, um, look at these three things. So what, what can I um, automate? What can I delegate? And what can I give away? Or what can I say no to? So just yeah. to make things a little bit simpler for yourself, what can I delegate? You know, what can other people help me with? What can I automate? Get someone, get a, get, um, I was going to say Asda, what is it in America? Walmart, get them to drop your groceries off. Don't, don't be going out there. <laughs> Um, you know, and what do you need to say no to? What do you need to actually, or just pause on? And I think uh, pause is a really powerful word in motherhood. You're not saying, I'm not doing that forever. You're just saying, in at this moment, I don't have the capacity for that. And that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've said no to a lot of things over the years that have come back around, you know, as I'm now in my late 40s, they've come back around and I can say yes again. Hmm. I love that so very much. And it makes so much sense. And there's so much more to say no to nowadays too. I just, Absolutely. You know, talking about that, I was thinking, you know, a lot of this uh, modern self-care me time culture, quite frankly, feels like advertising more than anything else, you know, or it like consumerism. Yeah. Buy the program, you know, and we can get your baby to sleep at night. Just, I just, it's crazy to me that it feels like we're just being sold to all the time, even like in the like private things in our home, like infant sleep and, and, you know, how it is we're spending our time and our money when we feel like we quote unquote, finally have time as a mom to, mm. to go out and play. So if we can say no to all of that messaging and really focus on the simplicity of Charlotte Mason's teachings of, you know, it just, you don't have to give yourself permission to go play. It's just something that you do. That's right. You take the permission thing out of it and you just make it part of your life. Absolutely. The other thing I was thinking about in your book was how much confidence you have in parents. And I felt that from Charlotte Mason and her writing too, and especially in yours. I mean, I started to write them down. Um, You know, you, you say you are the expert on your own family. You know what's best for your context and culture. You literally say the words, I'm confident that you are all intelligent, innovative educators. And one rule doesn't fit all. And I'm like, thank you, Leah, because the world (laughs) is trying to tell us the complete opposite. And so I feel like that's where a lot of that confidence struggle comes in because there's so much outside messaging that's trying to tell us you are not the expert on your child. You don't know. Go ask the experts about literally everything in your life. And at some point it feels like you don't know. Go ask the advertisers, you know? Mm. It is. Oh, and that consumerism is, is powerful. It's strong. And we have, that's why you need to be confident in, in the midst of all that is say, no, this, you know, and that whole thing of knowing I'm on this, um, uh, keep, 
keep your eye on the race that you're in. Like, what's the term? Uh, stay in your lane. That's the one I'm trying to think of. Is because then you just, you know, if you if you're in your own lane, there's no one else to compare you compare to. You just kind of keep running, keep going. You know where you're headed. Um, but no, I mean, Charlotte said parents should trust themselves more, mm-hmm. and I think that's brilliant. Like, come on, we should trust mm-hmm. ourselves more. Well, um, years later, we still are struggling with this and working still, on still. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I love that so much. Well, it's interesting because when I'm reading your book, I do so much self-reflection and it was so good for me to do. And one of the um, quotes from your book talked about um, not overthinking our lives with our children. And so I was like, hmm, don't overthink it. Also find, think about it and reflect and add depth and meaning. So how do you find the balance between not overthinking our lives with our kids and then also self-reflecting and adding depth and meaning I think this a lot of this comes around to that quote again that all important things are simple Mm -hmm. and some of you know when you write a book obviously it's it's my voice it's my and a lot of it is uh, my personality so -hmm. that's very much I'm not a massive overthinker but I am somebody who is intentional so I think that I in every season of my life I like to simplify and kind of look what again, as this has become easier as I've got older and as I've become um, more aware of who I am and more confident in in my own womanhood and as a person, um, there is a, a struggle, I think, when you're younger with some of that stuff. But as I've got older, I've in every season, I'm like, well, what can I simplify? What can we, what are we not needing here? Now, as you, as you're doing that, your children are growing older. They are, you know, their own, uh, you know, thriving personalities and people and they want their own stuff but actually intention intentionality is the key word for me rather than over that whole thing of overthinking and I think what I see around me when I'm coaching and in, in community around me sometimes that stress will come from um trying to control too much trying to th- and thinking you've got control which is hilarious when you're an <laughs> older mother you're like yeah we no <laughs> We have no control here. I, yeah. I now finally, after 20 years, my husband and I say it to each other all the time. Like, why did we ever think? <laughs> and, you know, we get to at control. We get to shape ourselves. We get to do stuff with us. And then the overflow of the atmosphere and the life in the home, you know, helps our children become who they are. And so I think that overthinking, what I'm talking about there is this idea the stress and the control and then trying to you know if I do this there's a formula to everything and I think I'm somewhat in my early motherhood and early homeschooling days I was getting these messages if you do it this way then your kids will end up like this and that is not the case is it I mean we all know that they're just human beings they are who they are and they're amazing but they will become who they're supposed to be and so letting go of all that, like letting go of that, um, just thinking so much about what I can control, what I got say I get in this, uh, and instead looking at the intentional moments you have together. And that's where atmosphere, discipline, life, especially atmosphere is so key for me. You know, uh, Charlotte Mason talks about atmosphere being one of the instruments of education. So this very much cuts out that overthinking for me because it's in the air so it is very much about 
the values that we hold, the conversations that we have around the table, the the stuff that we celebrate, the things that we feel sad about, the things that we feel a sense of justice about. It's these ideas that she talks about them hanging in the air that our children grasp that, again, we can't, you know, we can we can choose about what we value, what we celebrate as a family, as a couple. But what our children glean from that, that's all down to who they are. So, so if you if you start overthinking that, if you start thinking, you know, you know, you must think this way, child, and you must this must this will be where you'll end up. And I, I don't see childhood or education like that at all. Um, and so it's very freeing. It's very liberating when you actually stop overthinking and start living, and you just lean into that wonderful intentional life with your children. And you know, I my eldest has left. Um, she's living somewhere else now. She's living um, five hours drive from where I am. So we say these terms like it's so fleeting. But honestly, just this week, I was reflecting on the day she was born. She turned 20 in November. And I don't say this is just a cliche, but it it does feel like it doesn't feel like it was two decades ago. That moment of holding her and naming her and knowing her and and now she's gone. <laughs> I'm going to get everyone crying now. <laughs> I know. I'm like, oh my God. But it's, I'm also at the same time celebrating for her because it's an incredible move and she's like, she's doing great. Oh. Um, but so the, the intentionality, you can, we can waste time overthinking and trying to control and trying to, you know, get the outcome that we want, or we can just love and nurture our children, enjoy the time that we have with them, you know, be intentional about what we're reading and the atmosphere of the home and the stuff that we can do. Mm -hmm. And to me, that is, you know, that didn't come overnight. I had to learn that. But it's a really beautiful way to approach life. It really is. And it has a wonderful outcome. It's not tidy. You know, nothing is, is it? <laughs> but it's um, it's worth doing and it's worth contending for, definitely. Mm-hmm. I love that so much because I feel like I had a visceral reaction when you talked about the word intentional versus overthinking. Like yeah. I took a deep breath. There is so you're right. There is so much freedom in Charlotte Mason's yeah. uh, teachings for sure. And I think that's a, an interesting side effect of following her philosophies right. is that there is so much freedom in that and breaths of fresh air. And, and for so long, I feel like I've been called an overthinker because no one else had another term for it, you know, and what I'm actually doing is trying to be intentional as a mother. And I think that's so fantastic to have that. And I love that you talk about atmosphere um, because I think that um, in some education philosophies like Waldorf and things like that, there is this notion of like holding the space for your kids. And I love that she talks about atmosphere, but in your book, you actually give solid examples of what creating atmosphere in our homes and families is. And it's not how you decorate your house. It's no. like setting the tone and the language that you use and how that creates culture. That's right. And, and even down to very practical things like letting kids learn at their own age 
that they are instead of That's trying right. to force it and control it. Or you know, if you have kids that have a huge age gap, um, I feel like mine kind of do, kind of don't. Um, but my nine-year-old is not going to learn the same as my one-year-old. And mm-hmm. I've had to check my expectations with my five-year-old and my new nine-year-old and make sure that I'm not just trying to sweep her up with the nine-year-old and rush the last, the very, very, very tail end of her teeny tiny years, you know? Yes. Um, yeah. But then creating habits too. One of the things you mentioned is there's no expectation without explanation. Mm-hmm. I think that could be fairly life-changing. Can you speak to us about that? <laughs> yeah, it is life-changing. I think that, and, and this really, you know, I don't, I don't, uh, I'm not one for parenting advice. Uh, I will speak into motherhood, but I think I'm still in the trenches of of, of being a parent. So um, mm. I heard somebody say recently that you you don't need to judge yourself on your parenting until your kids are 40. So Dave and I were quite encouraged by that. We were like, okay, keep going, keep going. So I'm very careful. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, my parents are downstairs and I'm in my 40s. I'm totally going to go have a conversation with them about <laughs> I love that. So I'm careful because I am very aware that things change so quickly and I am learning all the time. So I, I rarely give out stuff like that. But when it comes to um, children understanding expectations, I think parents can be hilarious because they think that the kids are mind readers, you know, this and a lot of frustration will come out of but why haven't you tidied your room? And the child is like six years old or seven and go and, and in their heads they're going, I don't know what that means. I don't know what that looks like. And adults know most adults know what it means when someone says, Can you tidy this space? And, uh, you know, an adult, as this is just an example, adult says that to a seven, eight year old, whatever. And in their brain, depending on how they're wired, they're like, I don't know what you mean by that. So there's no expectation without explanation and demonstration. I can't remember if I put that in the book, which then leads to motivation. We've got a whole talk going here. Um, so I, I don't, this, this ex. This explanation and demonstration, especially with habit forming and with just general life stuff, like show them. And if you've got to show them a few times, just that's fine. Do it together. And so, I mean, I I do the bedroom tidying example because that's really where it hit home for me, where my daughter was like, I don't know where to start. And she actually said it like it just is so overwhelming. It wasn't even like it was that messy. And I realized, okay, break it down. Let's do this together and let's talk this through. So you can apply that to handwriting, to a maths class, to um, your expectations when you're out and about on a walk, um, you know, a- anything really. I think parents need to think a lot more about the, the way that children see the world and see their their you know, physical level of everything that they're, they're navigating and have a little bit more understanding. I don't dumb down childhood. I don't want to dumb down a child's world, neither did Charlotte. But I think being clear communicators can really bring forth a lot better in a connection and relationship and, um, you know, just the more connectedness in the household, in the family. So it's dead simple. You know, there's no expectation without explanation and, if possible, a demonstration. Yeah. <laughs> Try it out. See what happens. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, you talking about this actually makes me think of our family's trip to Nashville recently for the Wild and Free Conference. And frankly, oh, yeah. And everywhere we went out to eat with my children, people would say, your children are so well behaved. How do you do it? 
And I'm like, oh, um, I guess I practice respectful parenting. I just talk with my kids. But what I was doing is exactly what you're saying. My expectation is that you sit at the table nicely in a restaurant. And, you know, I'm modeling that, obviously, demonstrating that. Right. Um, But if they're not into looking at my example, because, you know, they're kids and parents, and it's just the dynamic sometimes. Yeah, that's right. um, I, I would say, look around. Do you see what other people are doing? Are they standing up? Are they running around? Are they, you know, dancing in the, you know, on their chair? Like, are, what they are they throwing they? food? They don't do that. And we just say like, oh, this is how it is. And, you know, we see our roles as parents, um, my husband and I, of just like the explainers of the world. Like they know how the world works because we don't keep things from them. We just tell the truth and we say, hey, you know, if you have any questions about things, come to us. We'll tell you the truth. That's right. You know, sometimes there's more mature subjects that, you know, age and stage, keeping that in mind. Absolutely. They are. We'll say, we've had to say, especially with our older daughters, I'm sorry, honey. It's our job as parents to protect you from some things in the world. And when you're a little bit older, we'll explain it more in depth. But here's like the general thing. Just know that we are doing our job as parents and protecting you from that right now. Right. And that's the best thing for you. And they just say, okay. And my one daughter will come back. You talk about personalities and things like that. She's like, so how old do I have to be before you explain that to me? (laughs) Maybe like 13. And she's like, okay, so only like four years. Oh, I love it. I can wait, you know, but we have that. And there's a lot of um, explanation. Mm. I feel like in fact, most of my days are explaining things or observing things too. Yeah, that's Um, right. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the big truths you say in your book that I really want to highlight. In fact, I started in the book and wrote big truth right next to it. No. it says, <laughs> Children often emulate what they see those around them doing. They pick up on our perspective. If we're sleepily going through the days, keeping our kids entertained or busy and counting down to bedtime, then our children will feel like an inconvenience. Mm. But if joyfully reading with them, engaging in their world and relishing their company, they will see life is for them to live and interact with too. That is just so good. And I feel like that's an entire book in and of itself. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Do you you have any encouragement or tips for moms who hear that and know that they might want to make shifts in their mothering to make sure that they aren't conveying the message that kids are inconvenient? Because that is something, you know, convenience is something that we are kind of like pressured into as a society as a whole. And I think that our kids are feeling it. And there's a lot of us who want to make shifts and make sure we're not doing that. Yeah. Um, when I, you know, when I hear the question and I want to just hear that being read back to me, I do think about such a wide scope of mothers and my heart goes out to all of them because there are some who have to work and they are, their children will see that as mom is busy, but you you've got to pay some bills and we've got to contribute. There are others who might have um, energy issues or as in, you know, health that look into children. They look like they're lying down again, they're sleeping. And I think, you know, there are so many things like that, aren't they? Or that you're looking after a sick relative. So you're having to rush around and be out. And yet there, and there are also those who, yeah, they might scroll on their phone for an hour and, and totally zone out. And the kids are like, hello. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like my, my daughter recent, my youngest daughter, I, I very, very rarely nap very rarely. I have to be completely exhausted to do that. And she said to me, you know, I don't like it when you nap. And I was like, what? you never said that before she said I'm I'm like but 
you are so occupied and you know she said no but what if I do need you I don't like the idea of you being asleep in the day I was like that's noted very interesting (laughs) but I think a lot of these you know the whole scope of motherhood and whatever the situation is I think a lot of those things can be overcome by, by again by explanation by connection by relationship and just saying hey this I think we are often afraid to have those hard conversations with our children um even if it's around you know mommy needs to help with paying the bills this year or this month you know mommy needs to I'm not feeling great this is what's going on you don't have to tell them everything and so an hour in the afternoon I'm going to have a sleep but until then we're going to have some great time together you know whatever it is so I think some of those things can be overcome by clear communication which is love love you know that is communication that is love is is communicating and explaining to our children I think when we hide and over protect you know some of that stuff comes out later in children they're they ask when they're adults they're like I remember this going on and I was so confused and it can have a lasting impact on them I think if you recognize that um there is that feeling if people are listening and they're like, yeah, you know what? I often feel like my kids are an inconvenience. I think you have to r- pull everything back and ask why mm-hmm. and what else is contending for your time and attention. And is that real or is that made up by you? And I think we can all do better. I, I you know, even talking now, I think yeah. there's times when I just zone out and, and sometimes I need it and I'll just say, kids I'm just doing something or other times I know that I'm being lazy and I I can fall into that mm-hmm. um because I'm human right. <laughs> you know I'm infallible so I think you have to ask the right questions of yourself and look at the impact on your children maybe look at your day um look at what you need to switch around either side of the day and then look at that time when you know, if kids are, if, if, they're, if they're calling you out on it, it's definitely something to change. It's definitely something to, to take notice of and do something about. Um, but I think the only thing we can do is deal with today. We can, we can make the change. And I think we can't, if we linger in the guilt of yesterday, you know, it will just, it will inhibit us in our future. So mm-hmm. you say, okay, you know what? I'm not, if you're listening to this today and you're like, you know what? I do that sometimes. I'm not great at that. Well, brilliant here's the little here's this alarm going off saying let's do something about that today and you can just pause have a reflection look at what's going on what needs are not being met in your life in your in your you know your whatever mind body soul physical um surroundings and how can you have the conversation about making those shifts to 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 call you know to call on that intentionality a little bit more so I think we can only do something about what we recognize and um, that can only be a good thing so mm-hmm. just being an encouragement to that right I feel like those little pings of like ooh, you know we can go we can we we are called at that moment to take a path like do you want to go down the guilt like right. self-loathing path you know or the angry with our kids for pointing it out path or yeah or do we want to be curious about it and curiosity is a big um, notion that Charlotte Mason talks about and asks us to be curious about our children and who they are. Um, and I've also heard the expression, um, curiosity, healthy curiosity, um, can be an expression of love. 
love. And I yeah. think those moments we can have a healthy curiosity about ourselves. Like, why am I feeling that way? And, right. and put on our curious glasses instead of our self-loathing glasses in those moments and, and be curious about what it is we need and, and what we're getting. And then curious about our kids too, and asking questions. And I was just speaking with um, Jennifer Pepito yesterday about hospitality and things like that. And it makes me think if even that conversation too, of like, getting to know people, just being curious about them, asking questions. And, and that can be an expression of love and a way to get to know people, get to know ourselves, get to know our children and get to know people outside of our, our current circles too. Yeah. And, and you can say, sorry, you know, that's a very powerful thing that we can do as parents. I think if you feel like you've missed the mark in some area with this, just, you know, and, say sorry I there's I've said sorry to my children so many times and uh, that's a value for me you know just like actually it brings a lot of freedom for both of us and they can see that we're just we're just human too Mm-hmm, for sure. Um, Charlotte Mason talks about attention and where it is we're putting our attention. And I think, like you said, staying in our lane, looking at ourselves, looking at our lives, our children, all of that. But then the last thing I want to talk about, because I do not think you can talk about Charlotte Mason without talking about nature study. And Absolutely not. Nature in general, we must, must come full circle as I look out my window at all the snow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, have you got snow? Oh, yeah, like a ton. Oh, yeah, a ton. It's beautiful. You're not in Hawaii anymore. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> um, well, nature study is really important to my family, and it's actually a major part of our homeschool. And can you talk with us about the importance of nature study, whether you're a homeschooler or not, and like some practical ways we can incorporate more, you know, quote unquote, nature study into our lives as mothers? Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, Charlotte Mason's take on on the natural world was that it is the you know the foundation of, of scientific study, and that paying attention, exploration. You know, she talked a lot about children connecting with God's creation, but mm-hmm. the learning opportunity from seeing the seasons change, from seeing a flower grow, from seeing a a bird's nest, and but you know, all everything. It's just this living, thriving. Um, you know, on our doorstep, most of the time, she does talk about in her books, if you're living in central London, get on a bus and go to the countryside. But, you know, most of us can access some kind of green space somewhere. Um, And yeah, she had this, you know, for children who are under the age of nine in her first book, she was like, get them outdoors four or five hours a day. And and I know all the mothers are going, how on earth should I, can I do that with the laundry and the cooking and the dishes? And I think I always say, take the nugget of truth. You know, what she's saying here is that um, being outdoors is really important for children and a really um, should be a high priority. So get out as much as you can. And that's how I read it. Um, so and and very much as well as it being a place where we can hone our sense of observation and our habit of attention, like I've said, it becomes this foundation of scientific study. And there's so much maths in nature as well. And, you know, creativity, there's so much there. Um what tend the the focus that's often i mean you know what we've talked about consumerism in motherhood there is still this air of kind of consumerism and pressure even within a niche pedagogy like the Charlotte Mason philosophy you look at the internet and Instagram and you think oh it has to look this way and Charlotte did have her students um 
have nature journals because it was a form of narration. So if you've, you know, you've looked at a beautiful view or you've looked at a, a, a robin, then drawing that robin um, as close as possible to what it what it appeared um, is a form of narration. It's a form of remembering. Um, and I, so I think it's great, but we often get this idea that we've got to be amazing artists and we have to know how to use watercolors and all this kind of stuff. Um, well, I, I'm very much about, you know, not sweating over that, not crying over it, which I, I have seen people cry over nature study, uh, oh. or over journaling, over nature journaling. But the, 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 you know, the key foundation point is, get outside, you know, be outside and, you know, observe those surroundings, observe what's going on around you, observe the seasons, observe the changes. And then in some way, shape or form, record it. Now I have, I have a specific Instagram page called Leah B's Nature Journal. It's a, I think it's a private one. I can't remember, but anyway, that's all just snapshots of things we find in nature and we find the name, you know, and then we'll find the Latin name for it. And then I'll just put the month we found it. And it's a, you know, an online visual journal of our nature journaling. We've also done formal nature journaling that looks a lot like how Charlotte Mason would describe some of my children responded to that better than others we've also done um we've used tracing paper and carbon paper we've cut out things from magazines and made montages and collages and we have um done just we've written down what we've rather than drawing we just record in words what is happening every single day what the temperature's like what the weather looks like you know what's new outside the window and just a few sentences a day so over our two decades we have done so many different things but i can tell you that my my eldest daughter is the first person to text me and say mum look outside go and look at the moon you know she knows I love that stuff we need to look you know and uh she's now we are we live in the landlocked city really but she's moved to the sea and um she is it is fueling her soul she keeps sending me these photographs of her sat by the ocean in the the south of England and I can see it's coming alive in her she knows she needs to be around that and um, so no matter what you see in your children, you might think, oh, they just they hate nature journaling. Just keep going outside, keep going outside, keep, in it, you know, keep showing them beauty and take them to beautiful views and point out the sunset and point out the, the rainbows that appear. And it'll become part of their natural way of seeing and it'll become part of their, uh, they won't be able to get it out of their system no matter what they go on to do. And I think, you know, adults who can appreciate the outside world, whether they become Bear Grylls or not, or whoever people recognize, you know, I think that it's good for the soul for children to start life like that. So again, you know what, it's very much about not overthinking it. But if you are an artist, if you are a person who loves watercolors, if you are a person who is a fine artist, then do the journaling, do the do the beautiful journals, show them on the internet if you want. But if you cannot make, you know, if you, you don't know how to draw a circle <laughs> or whatever it is, there are tools for all of us. Mm-hmm. I remember first um, starting to use tracing paper. Yeah, I wrote and, that down to some. <laughs> oh, it's great. So we would like observe a... Um, you know, a sparrowhawk or something. And then we'd find it in a book 
one of one of my kids this they just didn't want to draw so I'd find a picture of a sparrow I've got loads and loads of nature books find a sparrow hawk and then trace around it and the thing with tracing is that you're still your mind is still remembering the shape so you're still kind of doing the shape of the bird and how it goes and then they would either do the whole tracing paper and make it go on the paper or they would cut it out and stick it in and I remember showing that on the internet and it just being this kind of you're allowed to do that and I was like what allowed who talks like that do what you want exactly (laughs) so there are no rules there are precedents there are um there are ways people have done it before absolutely you can do whatever you want but find your way of observing recording and reporting that feels like life to you and if you are growing, you know, the sole end of education is growth. So if you can see your family growing and yourself growing in those skills and in those observations, if you're dreading it, change up what you're doing. Just mm-hmm. change it, make a change. Um, so, yeah, there, I mean, just I think if you can find it's all about, you know, see, seeing, recording and and then looking back at it and it's wonderful to see the change of seasons oh so good leah oh my gosh your book (laughs) is so good and the wonderful thing about you and how you present it is you you have this natural confidence that you bring and this openness and you allow us as readers and parents to come to the table as we are in the best like charlotte masony way and the confidence that you have in us gives us confidence. And then you show us this philosophy that is um, not complicated, but complex and Mm. intentional. And you take away the stress of it and the mystery of it, and you make it doable, which we as parents need so very much doable and pleasant. Gosh, I think any of us, regardless of our lack of watercolor skills, would love to sit in the park (laughs) with you and drink tea and do tracing paper drawings. Absolutely. (laughs) We do all that. And so thank you so much for that. Thank you for everything that you do for us. Thank you for taking the time to write this incredible book. I am so proud of you. I cannot recommend it enough. I know my listeners are going to want to connect with you more. Where can they find you? Yeah. Um, modern, just type Modern Miss Mason into your search engine. You'll find me Facebook, Instagram. I'm mostly on Instagram hanging out there. Uh, but modernmissmason.com will take you to my website. And uh, everything is is on there. I've got a conference coming up in July, which is you can either come come here to England, come come and uh, be with me, or you can stream it as well. So I'm, I'm opening up for that this year. And I do monthly workshops, which are just pay what you can for a donation. So I'm trying to, you know, there are lots of things just to help continually encourage mothers in the wonderful work that they're doing. But yeah, come over and find me, Modern Miss Mason, all over the place, and um, come and say hi. Yeah, I'll link to that in the show notes. Leah, you are so awesome. I really appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks for having me back on. That's it for this episode of Elevating Motherhood. Thanks again for spending your valuable time with me today. I hope you found some insight and inspiration or maybe a little of both. If you like today's show, please leave a review on iTunes. I use your feedback to plan future shows and cover topics that serve you. You can also connect with me on Instagram and Facebook. Links to those accounts are in the show notes. For more information, including today's show notes, head to elevatingmotherhood.com. That's elevatingmotherhood.com. Thanks again, Mama. I appreciate you.